Today I wish to address a very sensitive topic, the scandals in the Catholic Church in the priesthood, and I do so with a great amount of concern and compassion for priests who are caught in this immorality, having been a priest myself for 22 years and knowing the sincerity of men who go into the priesthood, they're wanting to serve the church and serve Christ and to help people. And I have lived among priests and seen the dedication and the sincerity of many devout men. And I have seen some of the scandals myself, but the way in which in recent times the scandals have been revealed have become a shock even to me from what I had seen and now what has been exposed even in my own native Ireland it is quite difficult but this topic must be addressed it is addressed essentially most of all by Catholics and most of the information we have on the documentation the details come from Catholic victim groups and different internet web pages that specialize in showing the scandals and how it has affected the whole world. So we want to deal with this in a way that we empathize with Catholics because it's a real difficult problem. Just coming here on the airplane, I met a devout Catholic man and he told me only himself and his father in his family remain Catholic. Others have left, become Christians in Bible-believing churches and he told me of the pain that he had on the question of the scandals. He said that what parent would want to have their boy go as an altar boy or what difficulties we have as Catholics, he said, even in sending our children to Catholic school. This was on an airplane coming here, and he told me he was a devout Catholic, and he was telling me of the problems in this very matter. So it's a real sensitive and difficult problem that we've got to face and got to do it delicately and through the Word of God. And that's why it's so important that we read the qualifications in First Timothy of what a elder should be or a bishop, which is synonymous with elder. What are the qualifications? Chapter 3, verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. And going down to verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The Bible in this written word showing us that if a man does not know how to rule his own house, he cannot oversee the people of God. The qualifications are that he should be qualified as the man of one wife. And that is brilliantly clear in the word that it could not be more precise. And 
and it is so clear in the word of God, for example, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, we're told that marriage is honourable in all and the bed undefiled. One of the many texts where God is upholding marriage, the creation ordinance, in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, it is not good that a man be alone. The word of God telling us of what he has provided for all mankind. And it is honourable. Marriage is established by God. And this is really traumatic because in the Catholic Church it is not honourable. And uh, we have had, because of Catholic law, real abnormalities that have really distressed um, Catholics and many others, well-informed victims' advocacy groups, and I'll be giving names later on, throughout the United States have estimated that between 2,000 and 4,000 abusive Catholic priests in America at this given time, or a number between 4 and 8 percent of all priests, of the 48,000 or so priests here in the United States. That is the figure that is above average of normal life, of the average uh, person who doesn't even call themselves a Christian. The level of abuse among priests is higher. And this is really difficult because of the uh, dedication that a lot of these men had in when they went into the priesthood at the beginning. It is documented here in the United States and across the world. It is not simply that the scandals of the priesthood have been exposed in the United States of America. It is in Poland, Croatia, my own Ireland, in Australia, right across the, the whole world. There is not a single Catholic nation where we do not have the exposing of the immorality that has gone on in the Catholic Church. And it is really a subject that has got to be addressed. But what about celibacy? This whole idea that uh, a man can be celibate, is that not a thing that Christ Jesus himself recommended, somebody would say, the very topic of it is good not to marry, these are the words of the disciples in Matthew chapter 19. Christ told about the difficulties that can be in marriage, and the disciples said it is good not to marry. So on the topic it is good not to marry. Christ Jesus did say distinctive words. These are Matthew 19, verses 10 to 12. Christ Jesus said, All men cannot receive this saying, say they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, 
let him receive it. Yes, celibacy is allowed, and Christ Jesus said, let him receive it who can receive it. If a man has a gift of celibacy, he can receive it as a gift of God, but it is personal. It is between him and the Lord as a believer that he may think he has a gift of celibacy. We have a young man in our church who is utterly dedicated to evangelism and utterly sold out to the Lord. And he has told me explicitly that he feels that he never has time to even think about being married because he said, for the sake of the kingdom, I think I have the gift of celibacy. And that is wonderful. But it's a personal thing. And it's in the context of marriage that the Lord speaks about. He upholds what was from the beginning God's ordinance. Christ Jesus did not say that I set up an institution whereby men can become celibate and join a group of celibates together and call themselves a monastic order. He did not set up a way of life. It's an individual call between a believer and Christ. He did not set up master generals and superiors and mother superiors for convents and nuns. There's no such form of life instituted by God. I've written a book or compiled a book of testimonies and I give an analysis of convent life which is the same as monastic life and the celibacy. So in these uh, forms of life and I analyze scripturally how Scripture does not allow for this. God set up three different institutes. The state, the church, and marriage primarily. There's no other way of life or institution that is recognized as a way of life by God outside of marriage for people. And to say that we can have groups of celibates living together or as individual men under their bishops is not of God. It is not a decreed way of God. It's he was able to receive it, let him receive it. And even the Apostle Paul said, have we not power to lead about a sister or wife as the other apostles and the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? The Apostle Paul, understanding that the Apostles were married and all had a right to have a wife because such is the Word of God. It is an ordinance of creation and there's no profession that is barred from marriage. And the, biblically, it is recommended in Scripture Highly and emphatically, as we saw in First Timothy, also in Titus, that a man be a man of one wife, and that he rules over his own family first before he can rule over the church. He shows that he is a man accountable to God in ruling his own family, so to be qualified to overrule, to rule or oversee the church. The Apostle Paul spoke also about being permissible to be celibate if one chooses, again, between the person and the Lord. And 
he showed that it is not a commandment, it's not a law. He said emphatically in his uh, first letters to the Corinthians, if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. He talks about the possibility of celibacy, but if a person has not got control, it's better to marry than to burn. How more explicit can you get? So it's not a commandment, and it's not a law. But this is so sad, because in the Catholic Church, it is emphatically a law. Marriage is not seen as honorable for priests, anything but. is not seen as legitimate for priests, anything but. I'm reading now from the Code of Canon Law, this massive volume of the official rules of the Catholic Church, how it is to be lived and how it is to be carried out. I'm reading from Canon 1394, quotation. A canon, I beg your pardon, a cleric, a cleric who attempts marriage, even if only civilly, incurs a late sententia suspension, and if he does not repent after being warned and continues to give scandal, he can be punished gradually by privations or even by dismissal from the clerical state. So a cleric cannot be married. And if he does so, and continues to give scandal. So marriage that is honorable for all, the scripture says, is not honorable for a Catholic priest. If he gets married, he commits a scandal. And after different punishments or privations, he is to be dismissed. Sadly, so many of the advocacy victim groups will say that they do not dismiss the priest because of the immorality. But you are dismissed if you do what the Bible says. If you get married, you are dismissed. Then the different stories of the immorality, they move them from diocese to diocese and from parish to parish. But if a priest gets married, he commits scandal according to the official teaching. And that is the burden, the law of the Church of Rome. And that is one of the reasons for the scandals. It is the actual law of the Catholic Church that the law is to be imposed. Now, before the recent scandals, there was an official decree because there was the possibility of a leakage coming out and the Vatican was getting concerned and Pope John XXIII made an official statement and this has come to light and has been published worldwide over the internet by different uh, media including the Sunday Telegraph in England and others have shown the exact words that were given by the Catholic Church as they hold for strict secrecy. And the Catholics have themselves admitted the fact that the way that they give 
is an observance of their own tradition and that they cannot weaken this tradition. They admit that it is tradition and not the word of God. So I want to read from the Vatican II documents. This is another official book of the Catholic Church where they give their official teaching in their own words. And I'm reading from document 95. It's called in Latin, Sacerdotalis Celebatus, and it's paragraph 41. In any case, the Church of the West cannot weaken her faithful observance of her own tradition. It is unthinkable that for centuries she has followed a path which instead of favoring spiritual richness of individual souls of the people of God has in some way compromised it. Or that she has with arbitrary judicial prescriptions stifled the free expansion of the most profound realities of nature and grace. She says it's unthinkable that she has stifled by judicial prescriptions the free expansion of the profound realities of nature and grace. And that's exactly what she has done. What she says is unthinkable is what has been disclosed and most vividly by Catholic sources themselves. They show that it has been the stifling of the riches of nature because marriage of, is of nature, creation, ordinance and of God's grace. So this is the, the burden under which we have Catholic priests living and it is in their official law that they state that the law of the priesthood is to remain. I want to quote from the same document and now from paragraph 5 quotation let us look openly at the principal objections against the law that links ecclesiastical celibacy with the priesthood. These are the official words of the Catholic Church. The first seems to come from the most authoritative source, the New Testament, which preserves the teaching of Christ and the Apostles. It does not demand celibacy of sacred ministers, but proposes it rather as a free act of obedience to a special vocation or to a special spiritual gift. Jesus himself did not make it a prerequisite in his choice of the twelve, nor did the apostles. For those who presided over the first Christian communities, Vatican II documents, Sacerdotalis Celibatus, paragraph 5, they recognize that it is not biblical. It was not from Jesus, it wasn't from the apostles. And they recognize that it was, in the scriptures, a special gift of God. And still, they're going to go on and declare that they hold it as law. And they, would, they said it seems to come from the most authoritative source. Is the Bible not the most authoritative source? 
how can you hold any other source because you've reached what Christ said scripture cannot be broken it seems to come from the most authoritative source the Bible is the most authoritative source and it does come from that source but we read on in the same document the official Vatican II document reading now from paragraph 17 virginity undoubtedly as the Second Vatican Council declared is not of course required by the nature of the priesthood itself this is clear from the practice of the early church and from the traditions of the Eastern churches but at the same time the council did not hesitate to confirm solemnly the ancient sacred and providential present law of priestly celibacy even though they gave the objections and even though it was not the practice of the early church and even though it is not the practice of the eastern churches they said that the council did not hesitate to confirm the ancient sacred and and present law of priestly celibacy so in face of the clarity of scripture they do not hesitate to say that this law is the law that they impose now how clear can you get the catholic church recognized emphatically that it's not the teaching of christ or the apostles it was not the tradition of the early church or the eastern churches and yet they impose it so we come to a real difficulty because we are facing devout people who struggle with this problem and who are really in agony when I was in Plattsburgh New York State a lady came to me she said she was 55 years a Catholic she said she was in utter pain and it was because of this these scandals and then when she saw the gospel and saw the clarity of the scriptures she said well what do I do about my husband I had for three years convinced him to become a Catholic and now how do I get him out <laughs> so she was in agony for herself and then in agony for her husband and it was because of the scandals that she had come out to hear me and there are many Catholics who are in pain and we have to approach this topic really delicately because it is really difficult and we have to delicately show that the scriptures warned about this in the same first Timothy in the following chapter chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 the word of God says now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Forbidding to marry 
and then commanding to abstain from meats. There's only one institution that fulfills this prophecy. There's only one institution that calls itself Christian and that forbids its priests to marry, its ministers to marry, and that's the Catholic Church. The same church that still commands Catholics on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday to abstain from meats. It used to be every Friday, and now it's changed to just Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. But she still commands to abstain from meats under pain of mortal sin. And so, these two things are fulfilled, and it is painful to see, but we've got to have the word of truth, and to show to precious Catholic people that the scripture foretold that there would be some in latter times, not in the earliest days of the Christianity, but in latter times, and it was later in Christian I beg your pardon, in Catholic tradition, it was Hildebrand who in the who came along in ten seventy three and to come against the lusts and the immorality of the Catholic Church began to re began to institute celibacy in a serious way. So this is very much down the line in the history of Catholicism, but is emphatically now the law. And so we have the, the difficulty, and let us look at the difficulty by again reading from Vatican II documents, because they talk about the difficulty, and they talk about the, the occasions of infidelity how it can be because of celibacy. They admit the same thing, as we are seeing. And we're reading from the same document and paragraph number nine, quotation. There are those who are convinced that a married priesthood would remove the occasions for infidelity, waywardness, and the distressing defections that hurt and sadden the whole church. These also maintain that a married priesthood would enable Christ's ministers to witness more fully to Christian living by including the witness of married life from which they are excluded by their state of life. Catholic Church recognizes bold-facedly that many say that it would be better to have a married priesthood and this would show forth what marriage is in the sight of God. And still, they enforce their compulsory laws. Still, in face of what they see so clearly, and they say it more clearly than anyone could say it, the infidelity and the waywardness and the problems that could be resolved by marriage, they still go on to say, and I'm quoting from another document, document number 63, uh, Presbyterorum Ordinus, and it's section number 16, direct quotation, based on the mystery of Christ and his mission, celibacy, which at first was recommended to priests, was afterwards in the Latin church imposed by law on all who were 
to be promoted to holy orders. This sacred council approves and confirms this legislation. And so they again kneel down that their law says that celibacy that was first recommended was afterwards imposed by law and they confirm, that's their own words, this legislation. Now this is really difficult because of the pain it has caused among Catholics and others who have been worried about the problems and it is um, mostly exposed in Roman Catholic pages. If you're on the internet, I would urge you to go to www.survivorsnetwork. Survivorsnetwork.org. That's all one word. Whereby we find the network of those who have been abused by Catholic priests across the world. And it is really sad to see this documented on this Catholic webpage and the details given of the abuse. There are other Catholic pages like stop.org, www, stop, S-T-O-P, but they, they I beg, beg your pardon, they write stop with two T's in it, S-T-T-O-P dot org. So stop with two T's dot org is another Catholic webpage. And one of the things they said on that webpage is corrupt bishops must go. This is Catholics themselves speaking about the abuses in their own church. And what I had mentioned earlier, the Vatican was afraid that these things would be disclosed. So John the Twenty-Third issued a statement that has become public. And I'd like to quote from that official statement that was released in 1962. It said the following. Quotation, matters should be pursued in a most secretive way. They are to be restrained by perpetual silence. And everyone maintaining, and everyone pertaining to the tribunal in any way is to observe strictest secret, which is commonly regarded as a secret of the holy office under the penalty of excommunication. So this most secretive manner was kept for many, many years. And the Boston Globe was one of the first here in the United States to begin to expose it. And even this document in 1962, which was to observe strictest secrecy, and it was to be kept to the Holy Office, that is, the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faiths, used to be called the Inquisition, and that was the very department that Ratzinger, the present Pope, in his job as Cardinal Ratzinger, was uh, in control of. And so the, the sad thing is that the law of the Catholic Church is one of the reasons for this immorality. Another reason, and this is documented from Catholic sources, is 
homosexuality. Because this is rampant among priests and it is documented in Catholic books. I'd like to quote from Donald Cousins and his book on the priesthood where he talks about the situation in the Catholic Church. Donald Cousins is a Catholic priest himself. He's director of St. Mary's in Cleveland, Ohio, a leading Catholic seminary. And he has written on the face of the, of the priesthood in, in modern times. And he says in his book, page 99, quotation, an NBC report on celibacy and the clergy found that anywhere between 23 to 58% of the Catholic clergy have a homosexual orientation. Other studies find that approximately half of American priests and seminarians are homosexually oriented. Moreover, the percentage of gay men among religious congregations of priests is believed to be even higher. This is a Catholic author and a priest himself giving the NBC report on celibacy of a figure between 23 and 58 percent and then talking about half of American priests and seminarians being homosexually oriented. Now that is um, documented in other Catholic books, Goodbye Good Men, and Michael Rose, goes page by page, particularly chapter 4 of the book, in showing the sexual immorality that takes place in Catholic seminaries with this homosexual tendency. This is Catholic books showing the source it's the law of the Catholic Church and it is the, the predominance of homosexuality among the priesthood. It has been documented here particularly in the, in the um, Catholic Church in America. Now, while these are two important reasons for the scandals, I think that we still haven't come to the bedrock of what is the most important reason why we have the scandals. And I think we've got to really go deeper because we're talking about horrendous problem and why is it that this horrendous problem is not going away. And I want to quote from how the Catholic priests themselves and how Catholic people are to overcome evil how they are to overcome immorality. We have official teachings from Vatican II in the famous Gaudium et Spes. It was one of the most famous documents. I remember preaching on it as a Catholic priest uh, for many uh, years. As if I had come after Vatican Council II. I was actually there in '64 when the Council was taking place, but I was a post-Vatican II priest for the most part. And I preached from this um, document Gaudium et Spes and she is emphatic in that book 
uh, in the that document in this book of how evil is overcome. Quotation from paragraph three. This is the reason why this sacred synod in proclaiming the noble destiny of man affirms an element of divine in him, offers to cooperate unreservedly with mankind in fostering a sense of brotherhood to correspond to this destiny of theirs. The Catholic Church sees an element of divine in mankind. Now, if you begin by seeing something good in mankind, that is what pagan religions think. That's what the Greek mystics thought, that there was a spark of good in men. That is basically a pagan concept. Scripture, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are dead in trespasses and sins. The Catholic Church, before it teaches how you are to overcome evil, speaks about an element of divine. And that is getting a person on the wrong foot, because that's not where we begin. We begin dealing with immorality by seeing that all of us have a depraved human nature, utterly dead in sin. And then the Catholic Church continues in this document to speak about how evil is overcome. I'm quoting now from the document on section 14. Nevertheless, man has been wounded by sin. He finds by experience that his body is in revolt. His very dignity therefore requires that he should glorify God in his body and not allow it to serve the evil inclinations of the heart. When he is drawn to think about his real self, he turns to those deep recesses of his being, where God who probes the heart awaits him, and where he himself decides his own destiny in the sight of God. What is the Catholic priest taught and how does he teach his people? The official teaching of the Catholic Church is that you are to probe the deep recesses of your heart. You are to look into your own human heart where God awaits you. What did Christ Jesus say about the human heart? It is utterly of sin. And Christ Jesus named the sins. The human heart is not where we look. We look to see the holiness of God and how he has given us in his written word the grace by which we can trust on Christ Jesus alone to overcome the evil inclinations of the heart. But they say that a man decides his own destiny in the sight of God. This means that salvation is of human work. No wonder priests are not being rid of their immorality when this is the teaching that is the bedrock of their religion. It's not of him that willeth or of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. It's God's work. And 
we must depend on the grace of God, the righteousness of God manifest, as Paul spoke about, even the righteousness of God which is upon all them that believe. It is the glory of God's graciousness that we look to Christ and not into the recesses of our heart, that we may gloriously see his perfect finished work and trust on it. That's how evil is overcome. Looking out, not looking into the recesses of the human heart. But the Catholic Church continues. The same document, Gaudium et Space, now reading from section 17, quotation. It is, however, only in freedom that man can turn himself towards what is good. For God will that man should uh, be left in the hand of his own counsel, so that he might of his own accord seek his creator and freely attain his full and blessed perfection by cleaving to him. Man's dignity therefore requires him to act out of conscious and free choice as moved and drawn in a personal way from within, and not by blind impulses in himself or by mere external constraint. Man is to be left to the counsel of his own will. And they have that in brackets, like a Bible quotation. Is it in the Bible? It's in the Apocrypha. Those books that were added to the Bible by the Catholic Church. It is not a biblical quotation. Man is not left to the counsels of his own will. He's left to the written word of God, which declares that he is utterly a sinner. And so he looks to God for his grace. But the Catholic Church, talking about man's dignity, and that he, by a free act, can come to God, we ask the question that Christ Jesus asked the proud Pharisees. How can ye believe which receive honor from one another? If you think you're dignified and you think you have glory in yourself, how can you believe? If you think that the answer is in your heart, how can you ever believe? As Christ asked the Pharisees, water cannot flow uphill, neither can depraved human nature save itself. We do not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We do not cooperate with our salvation. It is totally God's grace. We are commanded to believe on, and we believe on, the written word of God. It is God who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. It is he who has given us his word. And this is the... The, the real difficulty, how it is that we should have compassion on Catholic people. Because it's not just law and the fact that there are so many homosexuals in the priesthood. It's the basic teaching of how you overcome evil. That base is gone. The scriptural base is gone. And man is taught that salvation is self-salvation and this is the horrendous pitfall 
that no man and no woman will ever come to, to the state where they can overcome the evil tendency of their nature except they look to Christ and Christ alone. And so we see the difficulties. The base difficulty is this self-salvation and the salvation that they proclaim in paragraph 1129 of the physical sacraments being necessary. That you must be baptized as a baby to become a Christian and you must confess your sins into the ear of a priest and go to the priest for anointing at the end so that you can participate in offering your, your sufferings with Christ's sufferings and on and on. The physical sacraments that do not deliver. It was so painful to me as a priest, not only as I looked in scripture, but I could see as I lived close to people in the parishes where I served people, that all the absolutions I gave did not work because people came back with the same sins. And the youth that I taught how to reach their destiny and how to overcome evil by looking inside their hearts, they ended up in drugs and immorality. And as I gave them absolution, they came back with the same sins too. It just doesn't work. And that is the sad thing. That it is not just law and the proportion of homosexual priests. It is the teaching of how a person is made right with God is not correct in the Catholic Church. It's not through physical sacraments and it is not the dignity of man to probe into his own heart. It is the glory of God and God alone. Now, there is a huge emphasis and this had been here in Wisconsin you know, with the former archbishop upholding the dignity of many of the people in homosexuality and that is part of the reason too and I'd ask you on the internet to go to www.dignityusa.org where you find the Catholic Church upholding homosexuality. Yes, there are some conservatives, about 20% of Catholics who really try to hold to what we would call conservative morality, but the majority of Catholics are not in this sort of thing. And you can see that from Catholic web pages like DignityUSA.org. It is really sad when you go there ask the Lord to give you compassion that you would see that these things are really sad and there are occasions for sin given to the priest. The priest has got to go into a box called a confessional and be close to women and young boys. I remember my own days sitting in the confession box. There's a grill and there you see the person's face right beside your face. I could see some of the sweat sometimes on ladies' cheeks here as they told me their sexual sins. It was difficult for them, and of course difficult for me, to hear details of sexual sins. But that's what Catholics are commanded to do, to go to confession. And that is one of the, one of the occasions of sins that have been disclosed, is the confession box, where priests proposition women for 
adultery and for fornication and young men for sodomy because they get into horrendous situations of close proximity to women and boys. They're right beside them in the confession box. And they're talking about the most intimate aberrations that can take place sexually and otherwise in the human heart. The Vatican too recognizes this and they recognize it in their official canon law as well. Canon 977 declares, quotation, the absolution of an accomplice in a sin against the sixth commandment of the Decalogue is invalid except in the danger of death. Now the sixth commandment for them is the commandment thou shalt not commit adultery. They name their commandments in a different way. They number them than we would as Bible believers. So they call the sixth commandment thou shalt not commit adultery. If a priest gives absolution to somebody who he has sinned with, it is not a valid absolution. They admit this, so they admit the problems. In Canon 979, they say the following, In posing questions, the priest is to proceed with prudence and discretion, attention to the condition and age of the penitent, and is to refrain from asking the name of an accomplice. They see the dangers in the confession box, and they give their laws against it. You're to, with prudence, to ask questions and the conditions, and you're to refrain from asking the name of the one that a person had sinned with. It shows the dangers of wanting to know these things, the depravity of the human heart. And the man who hears confessions goes back to a lonely house. He doesn't have a loving wife. He goes back to his own thoughts and desires and his own heart. That's his accompaniment for the evening hours after he's heard confessions. No wonder we have men succumbing to the wickedness that is now being seen. And this is with heavy heart that we talk about these things, but because the Lord has used providentially Catholics themselves to disclose these things on their web pages and many others to come out in protest, even the secular newspapers. We must show these things so that we have a heart for people who live in the system and a heart for those very priests who are caught in immorality and addicted to vice. They are not only in a system that teaches a false way of being right with God through sacraments and dignity of the human heart, but they get addicted to vice. And we should have a compassion to reach out to priests and to witness to priests. It is hard to distinguish them now because they do not wear the clerical dress as before. Some do, like one in the airplane coming here was wearing his collar. And you will know by seeing there's no wedding ring. Some wear polar neck, and they do not like wearing a tie, so they wear polar neck. So you, you can see them if you're looking for them, and you can see them in the supermarket and other places where you can reach out to them. Because these are men who need the gospel. What did Christ Jesus say, his glorious words? If the 
Stand therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. The gracious promise of Christ Jesus, that if the Son would set you free, you will be free indeed. And for these priests caught in immorality, and for any Catholic caught in immorality themselves, how can they be made right with God? It is by looking to the Son, the Son of God, who came and brought in everlasting righteousness that had been, as had been foretold of him. And now that righteousness is manifested, is seen, and it's upon all them that believe. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works that anyone should boast. The same Apostle Paul in Ephesians. It is God's gift. It's not any church. Look to him and he will set you free. Show you the depravity of your human heart. That was the last thing after my 14 years I dealt with Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. You being dead in trespasses and sins. God convicted me that I was not the good priest I thought I was. And my looking and searching did not make me any good in the sight of God. I was spiritually dead. That was the verse that undid me, but unless I was undone, I could not find salvation. You've got to be undone by God to see that you're dead in sin. Even if you have been faithful to your husband and wife, what... What slander have you published? What lies have you told? What immorality have you otherwise? There's nobody without sin. And even those who purportedly have not got into huge immorality, all are sinners. And we all look to the one source, the finished work of Christ Jesus. And that is the the word that we give. It is... Christ Jesus who gives us life. And what did Christ Jesus himself say when devout Jews came to him and they asked the question that Catholics could easily ask, what must we do that we may do the works of God? They asked Christ Jesus, it's in chapter 6, verse 28 of John's Gospel, what must we do? What things must we do? It's not what we do. And how did Christ answer them? The famous verse 29. This is the work of God. It's God's work that you believe on him whom he has sent. It's God's work, it's his grace. But it's you who believe. Nobody takes your place. You believe for yourself by that grace. And it is a commandment. It is not a request. And I ask, precious Catholics, that you look to the precious one and only Savior so that you can have freedom and new life and that you can rejoice with unspeakable joy in him, the Lord. And that we would see a real revival, that the Son of God would speak forth a word to the dry bones. And we would see what is prophesied of old can be true again, that the Son of 
man can speak a word because he is all powerful and that we would see in our own day many thousands upon thousands of precious Catholic people and others come to the Lord to the glory of his grace to be truly free and to the glory of his name and so we praise him worship him and glorify him the one and only Savior Amen and Amen Praise God. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.